0: Hey guys, and welcome to the show. This is your host, Mohammed Halaiba. Before we get started with our last episode in the GU review, I'd like to update on two things. Number one, that I will be changing the format so there is no classical music. I'm going to try the bell. Uh, It seems that more people feel that the music is a bit too distracting. The other update is the next series that we will tackle is MRI physics. I know everyone is excited for MRI physics and... I really spent a lot of time preparing this series, so I hope that you guys benefit from it. And feel free to subscribe or rate us, which would be really helpful. The more reviews we get for the podcast, that would be more helpful for people to find us. And again, if you have any questions or feedback, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. My email is m-h-a-l-a-i-b-as-in-boy-e-h at gmail.com. Thank you. Grading of VCUG is an easy question that can be asked in multiple ways. Key things to know we'll start with grade 5 and go back to grade 1. Grade 5, the imaging hallmark of grade 5 is a dilated and tortuous ureter. So, very dilated and very tortuous ureter is grade 5. Grade 4 is mildly dilated and mildly tortuous ureter. Grade 3 is dilated ureter but not really tortuous with blunting of the calluses grade 2 reflux into the collecting system without significant dilation of the ureter and finally grade 1 or the earliest grade which is reflux into the mid or upper ureter without dilation of the ureter and there is no contrast material or no reflux seen in the renal collecting system again to summarize from the top grade one non-dilated ureter with reflux into the mid or upper ureter grade two reflux all to the all the way into the collecting system without dilation grade three is dilated collecting system without tortuosity involving the ureter. Grade 4 is mildly tortuous ureter. And grade 5, very tortuous and very dilated ureter with diffuse enlargement of the collecting system. But between grade 4 and grade 5, it's really the tortuosity and dilation of the ureter. This is a fine detailed question. The story would be something about a renal transplant patient with positive BK virus, what they're trying to get at is urethelial cancer. Again, urethelial cancer seen in renal transplant patient with BK virus. Ovarian hyperstimulation syndrome. What is the mechanism for the process? Obviously, it's hyperstimulation of the ovary, but the pathogenesis of what we see is capillary leakage which lead to third spacing and fluid sequestration in the setting of massive ovarian enlargement. It's typically three stages, mild, moderate, and severe. The severe setting, we see hypovolemia, heme concentration, and oliguria, as well as pleural and pericardial effusion. In the mild state, we see bilateral multicystic ovarian enlargement, and we can see in the moderate, or as the mild stage progresses to moderate which starts in abdominal ascites and finally as we said in the beginning with the sphere cases hypovolemia due to third spacing what are the common signal characteristics of fibroid in MRI the way I remember the signal characteristics by knowing that there is something that exists called lipoleomyoma lipoleomyoma is a fat containing fibroid or leomyoma now, what is the signal characteristics of lipoliomyoma? It is T1 bright and T2 bright, which tells me that most fibroids are T1 dark and T2 dark with homogeneous enhancement. Again, fibroid is organized muscle tissue or disorganized muscle tissue, so it would enhance homogeneously, but lipoleomyoma would be t1 bright and t2 bright obviously because it contains fat it will show suppression if there is fat suppression on imaging or fat saturation on imaging but the classic imaging signal characteristic of a fibroid is t1 and t2 dark signal what is delayed graft function this is typically seen in renal transplant Which relates to requirement of dialysis in a patient post transplant within the first week due to delayed function of the graft. Timeline for post transplant or post renal transplant fluid collection. Obviously, we have three things that are typically seen after a renal transplant. We can get a hematoma, which is due to surgical complication. We can get a urinoma again, due to surgical complication. And finally, lymphocyle, which is somewhat a surgical complication, but it's not something due to the skill. It's complication from lymphatic injury. Now, hematoma obviously would show up within the first week or immediately post-op because it's a bleed and you only get bleed either during surgery or immediately past surgery. Urinoma is collection of urine so it doesn't present immediately you need enough urine to collect around the kidney either to cause compression by causing a mass effect or by causing decreased urine output and lymphocyle obviously takes a while for the lymphatic drainage to accumulate so it will not present in the first two weeks typically after the first two weeks or even up to one month is when you start to see lymphocyle present Imaging feature, hematoma will be T1 bright. Urinoma is fluid, and so will be T2 bright. And typically the evaluation is, is it a urinoma versus a lymphocele And the way we measure it is we measure the creatinine. If the creatinine within the fluid collection is much higher than the creatinine within the blood, then this is a urine collection. If the creatinine is the same, as the creatinine of the serum, then we can do either triglyceride or we just assume that it's a lymphocele. And the treatment for it can be either drainage or surgery or sclerotherapy. For urinoma, obviously, it's if it's due to a leak, we need to do a surgical revision, or if, if it's something that we can just put a catheter on and let the urethral injury heal, then we can do that. And finally, hematoma doesn't typically require treatment unless there is mass effect or compromise on the kidney or continued bleed. That would require surgical intervention to remove that fluid collection again. Post renal transplant, hematoma, immediately post up. Urinoma progresses and present when the first two weeks because that's when the urine start to accumulate and causes mass effect. The creatinine is much higher than the serum creatinine and finally, lymphocele. As you can imagine, lymphatic drainage is really slow, so it takes a couple of weeks or even one month before we have enough collection that it would cause symptoms. What is renal holograft compartment syndrome? Just like all the compartment syndrome, which is due to tight fascia, renal holograft compartment syndrome is the same thing. Either the fascia or the compartment where they place the kidney, is too small meaning the kidney is big for the extraperitoneal space that they place the kidney or that the kidney is swollen from post-transplant injury that it causes compartment syndrome. Again typically the kidney is placed extraperitoneal in the first transplant. If that compartment is too small we'll have renal holograph compartment syndrome. How we see it? We see it like we would see any other compartment syndrome. First, you would see decreased blood flow, particularly decreased diastolic flow to the kidney. And then, as it progresses, we would start seeing decreased systolic flow to the kidney, just like a compartment syndrome of the leg. Common etiologies associated with adenomyosis. What is adenomyosis? This is endometrial tissue within the myometrium again adenomyosis endometrial tissue or endometrial gland within the myometrium it is associated with any surgical intervention so childbirth cesarean section trauma tubal ligation any surgery into the uterus where it would expose the endometrial tissue into the myometrium will cause adenomyosis common imaging features of renal transplant vein thrombosis So when we have vein thrombosis, as you can imagine, the blood would not flow easily into the kidney because the outflow is obstructed. So what we see, we see no flow in the renal vein, obviously, but also we see reversal of the arterial diastolic flow. What does that mean? Meaning the resistance to the flow is so high that when it's in diastole, the flow would come out of the kidney. The arterial flow would be reversed out of the kidney because there is no way to take flow in the kidney when the renal vein thrombosed. Obviously, thrombosis is not immediate, meaning it's not 100% thrombosis. It's typically clot within the renal vein that decreases flow. And so we don't see exact manifestation. But we see some extent of reversal or slow flow or no flow within the diastolic phase and some flow during the arterial uh, or systolic peak what is the normal gallbladder anatomy why i'm bringing this up I've, you know sometimes i read in reports referring to a fundal gallstone what they really mean is a gallstone in the neck of the gallbladder the fundus of the gallbladder is the most peripheral portion of the gallbladder the body obviously is the body and the neck of the gallbladder is typically where stones get stuck timeline for arterial or renal arterial related complication following transplant most initial reaction is renal artery thrombosis this is seen in hyperacute reaction or as a surgical complication we then see Renal vein thrombosis, typically seen within the first week. So hyperacute or renal artery thrombus is usually within the surgery. They see it even during the OR or immediately as the post-patient finishes the surgeries when we would notice renal artery thrombosis. Renal vein thrombosis, seen within the first week. And finally, renal artery stenosis can be the presenting complication for chronic rejection, or due to chronic anastomotic stricturing. Classic imaging features of endometrial polyp. The key feature they're looking at in the exam is a feeding vessel and we see a circumscribed homogeneous endometrial mass with fluid around it. That's typically an endometrial polyp. Patient would be typically postmenopausal on exam, presenting with bleeding and they want to confuse us and ask us to choose endometrial carcinoma on imaging. Endometrial carcinoma is heterogeneous mass, L-defined variable enhancement, endometrial polyp, round, well-circumscribed mass with a characteristic feeding vessel. What are the types of testicular torsion? We have intravaginal torsion and extravaginal torsion. Now, intravaginal torsion is... The more common that we see in this setting of the bell clapper deformity, what's the bell clapper deformity? This is in an atomic deformity or variation where the tunica vaginalis would attach too high on the spermatic cord, which allow the testicle to rotate freely, just similar to the clapper of a bell. And that would cause the twisting and vascular complication. It is bilateral and so when you have testicular torsion you want to treat the other side even if you have to do a on the torsed testicle. Extravaginal torsion just from the name it's extravaginal typically seen in neonates where there is abnormal twisting of the spermatic cord proximal to the tunica vaginalis attachment. Again the torsion is extravaginal so proximal to the tunica vaginalis attachment where we have the twisting of the spermatic cord again extravaginal torsion is torsion typically seen in unate with abnormal twisting of the spermatic cord proximal to the tunica vaginalis thank you guys and best of luck